been with us over the last few Sunday mornings, you'll know that we've been working our way through the book of uh, 1 Timothy. And uh, we've been saying that in many ways, uh, the first letter to Timothy is a letter about the church and about how it works. And uh, as we've been going through uh, the letter, we began in chapter 1 when we looked at the church and its message and we saw that it was about teaching the truth Preaching the gospel and reaching the goal. Then we looked in chapter 2 about the church and its membership. And we said how important it was uh, to belong to the church, to pray in the church and to participate in the life of the church. And then in chapter 3 we were thinking about the church and its management. And we were talking about selecting the right people, setting the right example and serving in the right way. And then in chapter 4 we looked at uh, the church and its minister and we said that a good minister points things out, a good minister sets an example and a good minister continues to progress. And then last week we were thinking about uh, the church and its ministry and that was uh, chapter 5. And this week we continue as we look at uh, the last chapter, chapter 6, and we're thinking about the church and its motivation. We're thinking about uh, what motivates the church, what, uh, what drives the church. Uh, Rick Warren in, in his book, uh, The Purpose Driven Church, says, This, every church is driven by something, there's a guiding force, a controlling assumption, a directing conviction behind everything that happens. It may be unspoken, it may be unknown to many, most likely it's never been officially voted on, but it's there, influencing every aspect of the church's life. What is the driving force behind your church? And he goes on to talk about the different driving forces. Some churches are driven by uh, tradition. <clears throat> and the phrase that's always heard in those churches is, we've always done it this way. Some churches are, are driven by personalities. And in those churches the question is always, what does such a searching person think? Or what does a minister think? Other churches are, are driven by finance. And of course the most important question is, how much does it cost? In our passage of scripture this morning, Paul shows us several areas where the church ought to be driven and motivated by a Christ-like attitude. And he looks at several things. First of all, there's, there's a Christ-like attitude uh, to masters. Paul uh, begins by talking about uh, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their master worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Now, of course, when, uh, when we read this... Um, it seems a little bit alien to us. We know that slavery uh, was a terrible thing. And uh, we might think that slavery is being abolished, but uh, let me assure you that slavery still occurs all over the world in different forms and in different places. And it is a terrible thing and we should always stand for justice. But in Paul's day, um, slavery was how things worked. If you were to say to Paul that it was a terrible thing and you should get rid of it, it would be like us suggesting to our government that we get, get rid of all oil-based uh, fuel items. Uh, people would just laugh at us and say it wouldn't work if we did that. 
And so in Paul's, uh, <clears throat> he doesn't condemn slavery, um, he doesn't really comment on it, he just says to the slaves, um, the, the way that they respect their masters is really important. And uh, if we were going to draw something from this, we'd probably say that the people who um, we work for, they might not be masters, or we, sometimes we might feel like slaves, I don't know, but, uh, but Paul is saying that it's important that we respect people. And why does he say that? Uh, well, the reason is the driving force, the motivation, is that so God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. So God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. So the motivation for respecting those people that we work for and, and working well is so that they look at us and they think, here's a Christian who's a good worker and the, the result is that it's honouring to God. And this is really about choosing a different way. <clears throat> it's about not joining in in the kind of office banter about, uh, you know, ridiculing the boss or anybody else. It's about having that respect for people. Last week in chapter 5, uh, Paul was talking about how we relate to people in the church. And he, you know, he said, uh, treat all men like fathers and all the women like mothers and so on and so forth. And he was saying it's important how we treat people in the church. And, and now he's saying it's important how we treat people outside of the church life. In whatever it is that we do, that we show that respect. And it's a different way of living. It's respecting everybody. We live in a world where very often there's very little respect for anybody. Uh, for, especially for people in, in positions of authority. You know, everybody has a go at uh, politicians or the police or whoever it is. And it's very easy, isn't it, to get into that uh, mode of talking and thinking where we just uh, slate people or have a go at people. And Paul says it's really important as Christians uh, that we show respect. And when we do that, we're actually honouring God. And uh, his name is glorified. So it's about um, a Christ-like attitude to masters. And by that we mean uh, really people in positions of authority or people in positions of power. And then it's about um, a Christ-like attitude uh, to the message. What do I mean by that, a Christ-like attitude to the message? Well, um, Paul says in uh, verses uh, 3 to 5, he says, uh, If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, if anyone doesn't agree um, to these things... And uh, Paul, in this letter, has spoken about these false teachers on a number of occasions... And uh, it's obviously that it was uh, an issue uh, within the church where Timothy was. And Paul constantly returns to this theme in the letters about false teachers and reminds Timothy that we have to choose and be agreements with the sound instruction that Jesus has given. Our way of thinking and believing is worked out through the message of Jesus and his teaching. We pay special attention to what he taught, to how he lived. And this is about um, to choosing <clears throat> a different mindset. Choosing a different mindset. When we're looking at the church and its management, we said that in the church meeting, when we meet together as a church, what we're trying to do is seek the mind of Christ. Choosing a different mindset. It's, it's saying, it's not what I want to do, or what I think is a good idea. 
It's choosing to do the sort of things and say the sort of things and live in the, in the sort of way that Jesus lived. So, it's a Christ-like attitude to the message. It's important that we know what Jesus said. It's important that we pay attention to Jesus' teaching. Um, he says... Timothy says, says to Timothy, if anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree to a sound instruction of the Lord Jesus and God's teaching, he's conceited and understands nothing. So people that don't follow what Jesus said, Paul says, are conceited and have little understanding. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words. And the result is... Envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction... Very often, sadly, the church, um, in the history of the church, there has been friction in all sorts of different churches about all sorts of different controversies. And what Paul is reminding of Timothy is it's so important to pay attention to what Jesus said and to try to have the mind of Christ in any situation. So the question that we ask in any situation is, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? How would Jesus respond in this situation? That's always got to be what we're trying to work out. And sometimes it's very easy to know what Jesus would do and what Jesus would say. At other times it isn't always easy. Last Sunday night we had a very interesting cafe church. And we were looking at the whole uh, issue of homosexuality. And it was great. We had some great discussions. And of course there were various opinions and various interpretations of, uh, of, of what the Bible says about this issue. And it was good to meet together and to discuss. But at the end of the day, we were trying to seek, you know, how would Jesus respond to this situation? And it wasn't an easy thing to come to. And I'm sure it's an ongoing conversation uh, that we'll have in that format. But it's always important that we're always seeking to be like Jesus. A Christ-like attitude is what we want in every situation. And to have that mindset that automatically kicks in. And it means, of course, putting to one side our own desires and what we want. And very often when, when these things that happen, that strife and envy and uh, malicious talk, very often in the church is when somebody doesn't get their own way. And somebody wants something and doesn't get it, and it causes all sorts of controversy. And we have to constantly return to this idea that we are followers of Jesus. And that our attitude, as we read right at the beginning in that great passage from Philippians, you know, our attitude is to be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who was humble and obedient even to death on a cross. And that's who we follow. And so our mindset has to be the mind of Christ. Choosing a different mindset. It's about uh, a Christ-like attitude to the message of Jesus. And then it's about um, a Christ-like attitude um, to money. Paul uh, talks to Timothy about a Christ-like attitude to money. Um, we've all heard this phrase, haven't we? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You might not have known where that phrase came from. And of course this is where it comes from. Uh, in this letter to Timothy. Uh, the Beatles sang the song, you know, money can't buy me love. Uh, but we live in this world, don't we? That's preoccupied um, with the accumulation of wealth. With uh, the pursuit of riches. 
Um, Tom Wright, uh, in his book on this passage, says it's hardly an exaggeration to say that this famous passage is an indictment of modern Western culture. Never before in, the, in history has there been such a restless pursuit of wealth. And he goes on to say that many people give lip service to the maxim that money can't buy you happiness, but most, most give life service to the hope that it just might, after all, the pursuit of happiness and the idea that this is a basic human right is all very well, but when it's taken to mean the unfettered pursuit of wealth, it turns into a basic human wrong. Paul says to Timothy, um, we have to have a Christ-like attitude to money. I don't know if any of you have, uh, have seen the film The Pursuit of Happiness. Uh, true, uh, based on, on a true story of, uh, of this guy who uh, pursues happiness. And hopefully we've got a little video clip just to give you an idea. Want something, go get it. Period. It's this world that we live in, the idea that the pursuit of happiness is found in material things. And it's a typical kind of rags to riches story about a man who has nothing and is homeless. And uh, of course he ends up living the American dream, getting a job as a stockbroker and of course getting loads of money. But it's that idea uh, that happiness is somehow tied up in, in having lots of things. And this is the world that we live in and let's not pretend uh, it's any different. And uh, one or two people were honest when we said, who wants to be rich? Because uh, we kind of think that the answer ought to be, we don't want to be rich. But the reality is that we do, don't we? Um, you know, I'd love to have more money. Who wouldn't? And uh, we all, uh, to some extent, buy into that idea that if we just had a little bit more, uh, life would be better, life would be happier. And uh, Paul here, uh, in this letter, he warns Timothy about the, the danger of, uh, of wanting to uh, pursue uh, a life of, of riches and, and a life of wealth. And uh, he says that our attitude uh, to money should be a Christ-like attitude. And it's about choosing a different lifestyle. It's about a completely different way of living. It's about a way of living that's not about uh, pursuing more and more things and more and more money. Uh, but about pursuing the sort of things that Jesus said we should pursue. It's a, a choosing to live a different way. And of course, uh, this is what we're supposed to be as Christians. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be living differently to the people around us. But the reality is, um, we don't live that differently uh, very often. And there's a challenge, isn't there? People want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Chris Tarrant says, who wants to be a millionaire? The answer is everybody. Noel Edmonds on Deal or No Deal talks about winning life-changing amounts of money. And uh, in the church, we talk about a different life-changing. We talk about Jesus, who can turn our, round, our lives around just like Chris Gardner. But he's not going to give us lots of riches, he's not going to give us lots of wealth. But he can give us happiness. Paul talks about being content. Godliness with content is a great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of it. 
If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And we live in a world where people, by and large, are not content. They want a bigger house, a bigger car, they want a better job. And there's a, a, a sense of a lack of contentment in so many people's lives. They look, and of course, it's because we're being fed constantly with images of people that are living the so-called dream life. Um, but every now and again we're reminded that even people that live the dream life uh, don't always discover happiness. And uh, we see the sad results, don't we, of even, you know, movie stars and singers that... Uh, that the lives might appear to be happy because they've got so much, but in reality, uh, there's something missing. So it's about choosing a different lifestyle. It's about choosing a different lifestyle. And then finally, it's a Christ-like attitude to maturity. Christ-like attitude to maturity. And uh, Paul says to Timothy, but you man of God... Timothy is a man of God, and that means something. Um, he's not a man of this world, he's a man of God. And we are men and women of God, and that should make a difference. And Paul says, uh, what he's really saying is, it's about choosing a different Lord, a different master. It's about uh, choosing to make Jesus Lord of every single area of our life. About growing into maturity. Um, about recognising that as men and women of God, that means that we pursue different things in life. Paul talks about the fact that, but you man of God, flee from all this. That's the love of money and the pursuit of riches. And he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. These are the things that we are to run after. Rather than worldly riches and wealth. And he does say, pursue, which means that we have to be mature in these things, that we are to run after things, but they're not the things that the world are running after. You know, think of, uh, think of uh, the sort of animal that you'd want to flee from, maybe a charging rhinoceros or a giant spider in the bathroom, and you'd flee from it. And Paul is saying, you know, flee from these things. And then think if somebody walks into the room that you've not seen for ages, a really close friend, and you'd run to them. Uh, he says, pursue the things that really matter. And Paul's saying to Timothy, you know, you're a man of God. And that means choosing a different Lord. You're not serving the master of, of, uh, of money. And of course, Jesus himself said, you know... Uh, something very similar. You know, we talked about how, you know, how can we test whether something's right. Uh, we look at what Jesus said. And Jesus said, you know, you can't serve money and God. You cannot serve them both. Uh, you can only have one master and one Lord. And Paul reminds Timothy of who that master and who that Lord is. What does it mean to be a man or woman of God? According to Paul, there's these six things that a man of God is to hotly pursue. Is to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Make a mental list of these qualities uh, and ask yourself, you know, is this happening in my life? Are these qualities evidence? Are these things that I still need to pursue? We're called to be rich, not in a worldly sense... Uh, but rich in good deeds. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. 
We're to be a generous people uh, who are rich not in money senses, but rich in the good deeds that we are to do. Which is, of course, similar again to what Jesus said. He said, "Do not store up for yourself treasure on heaven, where moth and uh, treasure on earth rather, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You know, where is our treasure?" Because that is where our heart is. Paul's closing remarks to Timothy urge him to guard and take care of what has been entrusted to him. And as we come to the, to the end of this um, uh, study on the first letter uh, of Timothy, um, it's good to uh, remind ourselves of, uh, of what Paul is urging Timothy to do at the end. Uh, he's saying to take care of what you've been entrusted to. And as we come to the end of this study, uh, hopefully we've been given an insight into what it means to be the church of God, what it means to be a part of that church, of how the church works and, and how the church sometimes uh, doesn't work, and about our, our part in, in the life of the church. Paul urges Timothy to fight the good fight and to take hold of the things that are eternal rather than the things that are temporary. And having spent the last six weeks uh, looking at this and looking at the church and thinking about how the church works, uh, next week what we're going to do is start looking outside a little bit. We're going to be looking outwardly uh, rather than inwardly. And we're going to be thinking about how we reach out to people. So hopefully this study's been helpful. And again, I would encourage you um, to participate in our next study. Uh, just walk across the room. Let's just.